A third of students are less than happy about their university choice, new research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY. The Guardian. The Guardian Short Story Podcast. Chimamanda Adichie. No Sweetness Here by Ama Ata Edu. He was beautiful, but that was not important. Beauty does not play such a vital role in a man's life as it does in a woman's. Or so people think. If a man's beauty is so ill-mannered as to be noticeable, people discreetly ignore its existence. Only an immodest girl like me would dare comment on a boy's beauty. Kwesi is so handsome, I was always telling his mother. If ever I am transferred from this place, I will kidnap him. I enjoyed teasing the dear woman and she enjoyed being teased about him. She would look scandalized, pleased and alarmed, all in one fleeting moment. Hey, Chicha, you should not say such things. The boy is not very handsome, really. But she knew she was lying. Besides, Chicha, who cares whether the boy is handsome or not? Again, she knew that at least she cared. For after all, didn't the boy's wonderful personality throw a warm light on the mother's lively, though already waning, beauty? Then gingerly, but in a remarkably matter-of-fact tone, she would voice out her gnawing fear. Please, Chicha, I always know you're just making fun of me, but please promise me you won't take Kwesi away with you. Almost at once, her tiny mouth would quiver and she would hide her eyes in her cloth as if ashamed of her great love and her fears. But I understood. Oh, Mammy, don't cry. You know I don't mean it. Chicha, I am sorry and I trust you. Only I can't help fearing, can I? What will I do, Chicha? What would I do should something happen to my child? She would raise her pretty eyes, glistening with unshed tears. Nothing will happen to him, I would assure her. He's a good boy. He does not fight and therefore there's no chance of anyone beating him. He's not dull, at least not too dull which means he does not get more cane lashes than the rest of his mates. Chicha, I shall willingly submit to your canes if he gets his sums wrong, she would hastily intervene. Don't be funny. A little warming up on a cold morning wouldn't do him any harm. But if you say so, I won't object to hitting that soft flesh of yours. At this, the tension would break and both of us begin laughing. Yet I always went away with the image of her quivering mouth and unshed tears in my mind. Mami Ama loved her son, and this is a silly statement, as silly as saying, Mami Ama is a woman. Which mother would not? 
At the time of this story, he had just turned 10 years old. He was in primary class four and quite tall for his age. His skin was as smooth as shea butter and as dark as charcoal. His black hair was as soft as his mother's. His eyes were of the kind that always remind one of a long dream on a hot afternoon. It is indecent to dwell on a boy's physical appearance, but then Quessy's beauty was indecent. The evening was not yet come. My watch read 4.15pm, that ambiguous time of the day which these people, despite their great ancient astronomic knowledge, have always failed to identify. For the very young and very old, it is certainly evening, for they've stayed at home all day and they begin to persuade themselves that the day is ending. Bored with their own company, they sprawl in the marketplace or by their own walls. The children begin to whimper for their mothers, for they are tired with playing house. Fancying themselves starving, they go back to what was left of their lunch, but really they only pray that mother will come home from the farm soon. The very old certainly do not go back on lunch. Lunch remains, but they do bite back at old conversational topics, which were fresh at 10 o'clock. I say, Kwame, as I was saying this morning, my first wife was a most beautiful woman, old Kofi would say. Oh, yes, yes, she was an unusually beautiful girl. I remember her, old Kwame would nod his head, but the truth was he was tired of the story and he was sleepy. It's high time the young people came back from the farm. But I was a teacher, and I went the white man's way. School was over. Mami Ama's hut was at one end of the village, and the school was at the other. Nevertheless, it was not a long walk from the school to her place, because Bamso is not really a big village. I had left my books to little Grace Asson to take home for me, so I had only my little clock in my hand and I was walking in a leisurely way. As I passed the old people, they shouted their greetings. It was always the fantasized form of the English. Kudi mi no chicha. Then I would answer, Kudi mi nana. When I greeted first, the response was, Tanchu. Chicha, how are you? Nana, I am well. And how are the children? Nana, they are well. Yo, that is good. When an old man felt inclined to be talkative, especially if he had more than me for audience, he would compliment me on the work I was doing. Then he would go on to the assets of education, especially female education, ending up with quoting Dr. Agri. So this evening too, I was delayed. But it was as well, for when I arrived at the hut, Mami Ama had just arrived from the farm. The door opened facing the village, and so I could see her. All oh, that picture is still vivid in my mind. She was sitting on a low stool with her load before her. Like all the loads the other women would bring from the farms into their homes, it was colorful. At the very bottom of the wide wooden tray were the cassava and yam tubers, rich, muddy brown, the color of the earth. Next were the plantain of the green colour of the woods from which they came. Then there were the gay vegetables, the scarlet pepper, garden eggs, golden pepper, and crimson tomatoes. Over this riot of colours, the little woman's eyes were fixed, 
absorbed while the tiny hands delicately picked the pepper. I made a scratchy noise at the door. She looked up and smiled. Her smile was a wonderful flashing whiteness. Oh, Chicha, I have just arrived. So I see. And how are you, my child? Very well, mother. And you? Tanchu, do sit down. There's a stool in that corner. Sit down. Life is a battle. What can we do? We are just trying, my daughter. Why were you longer at the farm today? After weeding that plot I told you about last week, I thought I would go for one or two yams. Ah, I cried. You know tomorrow is Ahoba. Even if one does not feel happy, one must have some yam for old Aho. Yes, so I understand. The old saviour deserves it. After all, it is not often that a man offers himself as a sacrifice to the gods to save his people from a pestilence. No, Chicha, we were so lucky. But Mamiyama, why do you look so sad? After all, the yams are quite big. She gave me a small grin, looking at the yams she had now packed at the corner. Do you think so? Well, they are the best of the lot. My daughter, when life fails you, it fails you totally. One's yams reflect the total sum of one's life. And mine look wretched enough. Oh, Mammy, why are you always speaking in this way? Look at Kwesi. How many mothers can boast of such a son? Even though he is only one, consider those who have none at all. Perhaps some woman is sitting at some corner envying you. She chuckled. What an unhappy woman she must be who would envy Amma. But thank you. I should be grateful for Kwesi. After that, we were quiet for a while. I always loved to see her moving quietly about her work. Having finished unpacking, she knocked the dirt out of the tray and started making a fire to prepare the evening meal. She started humming a religious lyric. She was a Methodist. I watched her and my eyes became misty. She looked so much like my own mother. Presently, the fire began to smoke. She turned around. Chicha. Mamiyama. Do you know that tomorrow I am going to have a formal divorce? Oh, and I could not help the dismay in my voice. I had heard soon after my arrival in the village that the parents of that most beautiful boy were as good as divorced. I had hoped they would come to a respectful understanding for the boy's sake. Later on, when I got to know his mother, I wished for this, for her own sweet self's sake too. But as time went on, I had realized this could not be or was not even desirable. Kojo Fee was the selfish and bullying man whom no decent woman ought to have married. He got on marvelously with his two other wives, but they were three of a feather. Yet I was sorry to hear Mammy was going to have a final breach with him. Yes, I am, she went on. I should. What am I going on like this for? What is man struggling after? Seven years is a long time to bear ill usage from a man, coupled with contempt and insults from his wives. What have I done to deserve the abuse of his sisters and his mother? Does she insult you too? I exclaimed. Why not? Don't you think she would? Considering that I don't buy her the most expensive cloth in the market and I don't give her the best fish from my soup like her daughters-in-law do. I laughed. The mean old witch. 
Chicha, don't laugh. I am quite sure she wanted to eat Kwesi, but I baptized him and she couldn't. Oh, don't say that, Mammy. I'm quite sure they all like you, only you don't know. My child, they don't. They hate me. But what happened? I asked the question I had wanted to ask for so long. You would ask Chicha. I don't know. They suddenly began hating me when Kwesi was barely two. Kojo fee reduced my housekeeping money, and sometimes he refused to give me anything at all. He wouldn't eat my food. At first I used to ask him why. He always replied, it is nothing. If I had not been such an unlucky woman, his mother and sisters might have taken my side. But for me, there was no one. That plant in time, although I was his first wife, he allotted to me the smallest, thorniest plot. Hey, what did you say about it? What could I say? At that time, my mother was alive, though my father was already dead. When I complained to her about the treatment I was getting from my husband, she told me that in marriage, a woman must sometimes be a fool. But I have been a fool for far too long a time. Oh, I frowned. Mother has died and left me and I was an only child too. My aunts are very busy looking after the affairs of their own daughters. I've told my uncle several times, but they never take me seriously. They feel I am only a discontented woman. You? I asked in surprise. Perhaps you would not think so, but there are several who do feel like that in this village. She paused for a while while she stared at the floor. You don't know, but I've been the topic of gossip for many years. Now I only want to live on my own looking after my child. I don't think I will ever get any more children. Chicha, our people say a bad marriage kills the soul. Mine is fit for burial. Mami, don't grieve. My daughter, my mother and father who brought me to this world have left me alone and I've stopped grieving for them. When death summoned them, they were glad to lay down their tools and go to their parents. Yes, they loved me all right, but even they had to leave me. Why should I make myself unhappy about a man for whom I ceased to exist a long time ago? She went to the big basket, took out some cassava and plantain, and sitting down, began peeling them. Remembering she had forgotten the wooden bowl into which she would put the food, she got up to go for it. In this case, I continued the conversation, what will happen to Kwesi? What will happen to him? She asked in surprise. There is no problem. They may tell me to give him to his father. And would you? No, I wouldn't. And would you succeed in keeping him if his father insisted? Well, I would struggle, for my son is his father's child, but he belongs to my family. I sat there listening to these references to the age-old customs of which I had been ignorant. I was surprised. She washed the food, now cut into lumps, and arranged it in the cooking pot. She added water and put it on the fire. She blew at it and it burst into flames. Mami Ama, has not your husband got a right to take Kwesi from you? I asked her. He has, I suppose, but not entirely. Anyway, if the elders who would make the divorce settlement ask me to let him go and stay with his father, I wouldn't refuse. You are a brave woman. 
Life has taught me to be brave, she said, looking at me and smiling. By the way, what is the time? I told her, it is six minutes to six o'clock. And Kwesi has not yet come home, she exclaimed. Mama, here I am, a piping voice announced. My husband, my brother, my father, my all in all, where are you? And there he was, all at once, for the careworn village woman, the sun might well have been rising from the east, instead of setting behind the coconut palms. Her eyes shone. Kwesi saluted me and then his mother. He was a little shy of me, and he ran away to the inner chamber. There was a thud, which meant he had thrown his books down. Kwesi, his mother called out to him. I have always told you to put your books down gently. I did not buy them with sand, and you ought to be careful with them. He returned to where we were. I looked at him. He was very dirty. There was sand in his hair, eyes, and ears. His uniform was smeared with mud, crayon, and berry juice. His braces were hanging down on one side. His mother gave an affectionate frown. Kwesi, you're very dirty. Just look at yourself. You're a disgrace to me. Anyone would think your mother does not look after you well. I was very amused, for I knew she meant this for my ears. Kwesi just stood there without a care in the world. Can't you play without putting sand in your hair? His mother persisted. I am hungry, he announced. I laughed. Shame, shame, and your chicha is here. Chicha, you see? He does not fetch me water. He does not fetch me firewood. He does not weed my farm on Saturdays, as other schoolboys do for their mothers. He only eats and eats. I looked at him. He fled again into the inner chamber for shame. We both started laughing at him. After a time, I got up to go. Chicha, I would have liked you to eat before you went away. That's why I'm hurrying up with the food. Mammy tried to detain me. Oh, it does not matter. You know I eat here when I come, but today I must go away. I have the children's books to mark. But then I must not keep you away from your work. Tomorrow I will come and see you, I promised. Yo, thank you. Sleep well, Mammy. Sleep well, my daughter. I stepped into the open air. The sun was far receding. I walked slowly away. Just before I was out of earshot, Mammy shouted after me, And remember, if Kwesi gets his sums wrong, I will come to school to receive his lashes, if only you would tell me. Yo, I shouted back. Then I went away. The next day was Ahobada. It was a day of rejoicing for everyone. It had not been laid down anywhere in the education ordinance that school children were to be given holidays during local festivals. And so, no matter how much I sympathized with the kids, I could not give them a holiday, although Ahoba was such an important occasion for them. They naturally felt it a grievance to be forced to go to school while their friends at home were eating so much yam and meat. But they had their revenge on me. They fidgeted the whole day. What was worse, the schoolroom was actually just one big shed. When I left the class one chicks to look at the older ones, they chattered. When I turned to them, class two and class three began shouting. Oh, it was a fine situation. 
In the afternoon, after having gone home to taste some of the festival dishes, they nearly drove me mad. So I was relieved when it was three o'clock. Feeling no sense of guilt, I turned them all out to play. They rushed out to the field. I packed my books on the table for little Grace to take home. My intention was to go and see the divorce proceedings, which had begun at one o'clock, and then come home at four to dismiss them. These divorce cases took hours to settle, and I hoped I would hear some of it. As I walked down between the rows of desks, I hit my leg against one. The books on it tumbled down. As I picked them up, I saw they belonged to Kwesi. It was the desk he shared with the little girl. I began thinking about him and the unhappy connection he had with what was going on at that moment down in the village. I remembered every word of the conversation I had with his mother the previous evening. I became sad at the prospect of a possible separation from the mother who loved him so much and whom he loved. From his infancy, they had known only each other, a lonely mother and a lonely son. Through the hot sun, she had carried him on her back as she weeded her cornfield. How could she dare to put him down under a tree in the shade when there was no one to look after him? Other women had their own younger sisters or those of their husbands to help with the baby, but she had no one. The only face the little one had known was his mother's. And now... But, I told myself... I am sure it will be all right with him. Will it? I asked myself. Why not? He's a happy child. Does that solve the problem? Not altogether, but... No buts. One should think of the house into which he would be taken now. He may not be a favorite there. But my other voice told me that a child need not be a favorite to be happy. I had to bring the one-man argument to an end. I had to hurry. Passing by the field, I saw some of the boys playing football. At the goal at the further end was a head full of hair shining in the afternoon sun. I knew the body to which it belonged. A goalkeeper is a dubious character in infant soccer. He's either a good goalkeeper, and that is why he's at the goal, which is usually difficult to know in a child, or he's a bad player. If he's a bad player, he might as well be in the goal as anywhere else. Kwesi loved football, that was certain, and he was always the goalkeeper. Whether he was good or not, I had never been able to see. Just as I passed, he caught a ball and his team clapped. I heard him give the little squeaky noise that passed for his laugh. No doubt, he was a happy child. Now I really ran into the village. I immediately made my way to Nana Kum's house, for the case was going on there. There was a great crowd in front of the house. Why were there so many people about? Then I remembered that it being a holiday, everyone was at home. And of course, after the eating and the drinking of palm wine in the morning and midday, divorce proceedings certainly provide an agreeable diversion, especially when other people are involved and not ourselves. The courtyard was a long one, and as I jostled to where Mami Ama was sitting, pieces of comments floated into my ears. The elders certainly have settled the case fairly, someone was saying. But it seemed as if 
Kojofi had no strong proofs for his arguments. Another was saying, Well, they both have been sensible. If one feels one can't live with a woman, one might as well divorce her. And I hate a woman who cringes to a man, a third said. Finally, I reached her side. Around her were her family, her two aunts, Essie and Amma, her cousins and her uncles. To the right were the elders who were judging the case. Opposite were Kojofi and his family. I have come, Mamiyama, I announced myself. She looked at me. You ought to have been here earlier. The case has been settled already. And how are things? I inquired. I am a divorced woman. What were his grounds for wanting to divorce you? He said I had done nothing. He only wanted to... Eh? Only the two of you know what went wrong, the younger aunt cried out reproachfully. If after his saying that you had refused to be divorced, he would have had to pay the ejecting fee. But now he has got the better of you. But aunt, Mammy protested, how could I refuse to be divorced? It's up to you. I know it's your own affair, only I wouldn't like your mother's ghost to think that we haven't looked after you well. I agree with you, the elder aunt said. Mamiyama, what was your debt? I asked her. It is quite a big sum. I hope you two had something to reckon against him. I did. He reckoned the dowry, the ten cloths he gave me, the knocking fee, all this had been heard by Kojo Fi and his family, and soon they made us aware of it. Kojo, his youngest sister burst out, you forgot to reckon the knife fee. No, I did not forget, Kojo Fi told her. She had no brothers to whom I would give the fee. Oh, it's all right then, his second sister added. But the rest of his women folk took this to be a signal for more free comments. She's a bad woman, and I think you're well rid of her, one aunt screamed. I think she's a witch, the youngest sister said. Oh, that she is. Anyway, only witches have no brothers or sisters. They eat them in the mother's womb long before they are born. Amma's aunts and cousins had said nothing so far. They were inclined to believe Amma was a witch, too. But Mammy sat still. When the comments had gone down a bit, she resumed the conversation with me. As I was saying, Chicha, he also reckoned the price of the trunk he had given me and all the cost of the medicine he gave me to make me have more children. There was only the cooking cost for me to reckon against his. Have you got money to pay the debt? I asked her. No, but I am not going to pay it. My uncles will pay it out of the family fund and put the debt down against my name. Oh, but you are a fool, Mami Amma's eldest aunt shouted at her. I say you are a fool, she insisted. But aunt, Mami Amma began to protest. Yes, and I hope you're not going to answer back. I was born before your mother, and now that she is dead, I'm your mother. Besides, when she was alive, I could scold her when she went wrong. And now I say you are a fool. For seven years you have struggled to look after a child. Whether he ate or not was your affair alone. 
whether he had any cloth or not did not concern any other person. When Kwesi was a child, he had no father. When he nearly died of measles, no grandmother looked in. As for aunts, he began getting them when he started going to school. And now you're allowing them to take him away from you. Now that he is grown enough to be counted among the living, a father knows he has got a son. So, so, Kojofi's mother sneered at her. What did you think? That Kojo would give his son as a present to you, eh? The boy belongs to his family, but he must be of some service to his father too. Have I called your name? Amma's aunt asked the old woman. You have not called her name, but you were speaking against her son. This again was from Kojofi's younger sister. And who are you to answer my mother back? Amma's two cousins demanded of her. Go away, but who are you people? Go away too, you greedy lot. It is you who are greedy, witches. You're always calling other people witches. Only a witch can know a witch. Soon, everyone was shouting at everyone else. The people who had come started going home, and only the most curious ones stood by to listen. Mamiyama was murmuring something under her breath, which I could not hear. I persuaded her to come with me. All that time, no word had passed between her and her ex-husband. As we turned to go, Kojofi's mother shouted at her, You are hurt, but that is what you deserve. We will get the child. We will. What did you want to do with him? Mamiyama turned round to look at her. What are you putting yourself to so much trouble for? When Nanakum said the boy ought to go and stay with his father, did I make any objection? He is at the school. Go and fetch him. Tomorrow you can send your carriers to come and fetch his belongings from my hut. These words were said quietly. Then I remembered suddenly that I had to hurry to school to dismiss the children. I told my Miyama to go home, but that I would try to see her before night. This time I did not go by the main street. I took the back door through back streets and lanes. It was past four already. As I hurried along, I heard a loud, roaring sound, which I took to be echoes of the quarrel, so I went my way. When I reached the school, I did not like what I saw. There was not a single childish soul anywhere, but everyone's books were there. The shed was as untidy as ever. Little Grace had left my books too. Of course, I was more than puzzled. How naughty these children are. How did they dare to disobey me when I had told them to wait until I came to dismiss them? It was no use looking around the place. They were not there. They need discipline, I threatened to the empty shed. I picked up my books and clock. Then I noticed that Kwesi's desk was clean of all his books. Nothing need be queer about this. He had probably taken his home. As I was descending the hill the second time that afternoon, I saw that the whole school was at the other end of the main street. What were the children doing so near Mamiyama's place? I ran towards them. I was not prepared for what I saw. As if intentionally, the children had formed a circle. When some of them saw me, they all began to tell me what had happened. But I did not hear a word. In the middle of the circle... 
Kwesi was lying flat on his back. His shirt was off. His right arm was swollen to the size of his head. I simply stood there with my mouth open. From the backyard, Mami Ama screamed, I am drowning. People of Bamso, come and save me. Soon, the whole village was there. What is the matter? What has happened? Kwesi has been bitten by a snake. Where? At school. He was playing football. Where? What has happened? Bitten by a snake? A snake? A snake? Questions and answers were tossed from mouth to mouth in the shocked evening air. Meanwhile, those who knew about snake bites were giving the names of different cures. Kwesi's father was looking anxiously at his son. That strong, powerful man was almost stupid with shock and alarm. Doze upon doze was forced down the reluctant throat, but nothing seemed to have any effect. Women paced up and down around the hut, totally oblivious of the fact that they had left their festival meals half-prepared. Each one was trying to imagine how she would have felt if Kwesi had been her child, and in imagination they suffered more than the suffering mother. The gods and spirits of our fathers protect us from calamity. After what seemed an unbearably long time, the messenger who had been earlier sent to Sudo, the village next to Bamsu, to summon the chief medicine man arrived, followed by the eminent doctor himself. He was renowned for his cure of snake bites. When he appeared, everyone gave a sigh of relief. They all remembered someone, perhaps a father, brother, a husband he had snatched from the jaws of death. When he gave his potion to the boy, he would be violently sick and then, of course, he would be out of danger. The potion was given, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, three, four hours. He had not retched. Before midnight, he was dead. No grown-up in Bamsu village slept that night. Kwesi was the first boy to have died since the school was inaugurated some six years previously. And he was his mother's only child. She has no one now. We do not understand it. Life is not sweet. Thus ran the verdict. The morning was very beautiful. It seemed as if every natural object in and around the village had kept vigil too. So they too were tired. I was tired too. I had gone to bed at about five o'clock in the morning, and since it was a Saturday, I could have a long sleep. At ten o'clock, I was suddenly roused from sleep by shouting. I opened my window, but I could not see the speakers. Presently, Kweku Sam, one of the young men in the village, came past my window. Good morning, Chicha, he shouted his greeting to me. Good morning, Kweku. I responded. What is the shouting about? They are quarreling. And what are they quarreling about now? Each is accusing the other of having been responsible for the boy's death. How? Chicha, I don't know. Only women make too much trouble for themselves. It seems as if they're never content to sit quiet, but they must always hurl abuse at each other. What has happened is too serious to be a subject for quarrels. Perhaps the village has displeased the gods in some unknown way, and that is why they have taken away this boy. He sighed. I could not say anything to that. 
I could not explain it myself. And if the villagers believed there was something more in Kwesi's death than the ordinary human mind could explain, who was I to argue? Is Mamiyama herself there? No, I have not seen her there. He was quiet, and I was quiet. Chicha, I think I should go away now. I have just heard that my sister has given birth to a girl. So, I smiled to myself. Give her my congratulations and tell her I will come to see her tomorrow. He walked away to greet his new niece. I stood there for a long time at the window, staring at nothing, while I heard snatches of words and phrases from the quarrel. And these were mingled with weeping. Then I turned from the window. Looking into the little mirror on the wall, I was not surprised to see my whole face bathed in unconscious tears. I did not feel like going to bed. I did not feel like doing anything at all. I toyed with the idea of going to see Mamiyama and then finally decided against it. I could not bear to face her, at least not yet. So I sat down thinking about him. I went over the most presumptuous daydreams I had indulged in on his account. I would have taken him away with me in spite of his mother's protests. She was just being absurd. The child is a boy and sooner or later she must learn to live without him. The highest class here is primary six and when I'm going away I will take him. I will give him a grammar education. Perhaps, who knows, one day he may win a scholarship to the university. In my daydreams, I had never determined what career he would have followed, but he would be famous, that was certain. Devastatingly handsome, he would be the idol of women and the envy of every man. He would visit Britain, America, and all those countries we have heard so much about. He would see all the seven wonders of the world. Mammy shall be happy in the end, I had told myself. People will flock to see the mother of such an illustrious man. Although she has not had many children, she will be surrounded by her grandchildren, of course away from the village. In all these reveries, his father never had a place, but there was I, and there was Mami Ama, and there was his father, and he, that bone of contention, was lost to all three. I saw the highest castles I had built for him come tumbling down, noiselessly and swiftly. He was buried at four o'clock. I had taken the school children to where he lay in state. When his different relatives saw the little uniformed figure, they all forgot their differences and burst into loud lamentations. Chicha, oh Chicha, what shall I do now that Kwesi is dead? His grandmother addressed me. Kwesi, my beauty. Kwesi, my master. Kwesi, my own Kwesi, one aunt was chanting. Father, death has done me an ill turn. Chicha, the grandmother continued. My washing days are over. For who will give me water? My eating days are over. For who will give me food? I stood there saying nothing. I had let the children sing, Saviour, Blessed Saviour, and we had gone to the cemetery with him. After the funeral, I went to the house of mourning, as one should do after a burial. No one was supposed to weep again for the rest of the day. 
I sat there listening to visitors who had come from the neighboring villages. This is certainly sad, and it is most strange. School has become like business. Those who found it earlier for their children are eating more than the children themselves. To have a schoolboy snatched away like this is unbearable indeed, one woman said. Ah, do not speak, his father's youngest sister broke in. We have lost a treasure. My daughter, said the grandmother again, Kwesi is gone, gone forever to our forefathers, and what can we do? What can we do indeed? When flour is scattered in the sand, who can sift it? But this is the saddest I've heard, that he was his mother's only one. Is that so? Another visitor cried. I always thought she had other children. What does one do when one's only water pot breaks? She whispered. The question was left hanging in the air. No one dared say anything more. I went out. I never knew how I got there, but I saw myself approaching Mamiyama's hut. As usual, the door was open. I entered the outer room. She was not there. Only sheep and goats from the village were busy munching at the cassava and the yams. I looked into the inner chamber. She was there. Still clad in the cloth she had worn to the divorce proceedings, she was not sitting, standing, or lying down. She was kneeling, and like one drowning who catches at a straw, she was clutching Kwesi's books and school uniform to her breast. Mamiyama, Mamiyama, I called out to her. She did not move. I left her alone. Having driven the sheep and goats away, I went out, shutting the door behind me. I must go home now, I spoke to myself once more. The sun was sinking behind the coconut palm. I looked at my watch. It was six o'clock. But this time, I did not run. Here's Lisa Allardyce, editor of Guardian Review. If you could tell us why, of all the short stories in the world, you've chosen No Sweetness here. Because I love it. It's layered and beautiful and complex, but also because I think that Amar Taidu is a writer who should be more widely read than she is. I think one of the things that Amar Taidu does so wonderfully in, in a lot of her fiction is that she... And to put it rather simply, she tells the truth. And I think what she's done here is that she's captured the reality of, of sort of 1960s um, Ghana, and in many ways 1960s West Africa, a small village. You have the educated teacher who is not the norm because by virtue of being educated, and who then has all of these privileges of being the teacher, and who becomes um, in some ways the not so much the storyteller as the observer. And, and I found the story interesting because it's being told by a person who's an outsider, but in some ways also an insider, because it's obviously a Ghanaian, but, but an educated Ghanaian who is observing this village life. And I suppose what makes it even more interesting is that it's easier for us to get into the story because we're being told the story by somebody who doesn't entirely get it. 
And she says at one point, these are the customs of your place. You are telling me something that, that isn't, we understand that they're not her customs as well. Then I, the sense that I got was that they, they might have been her customs, but she doesn't know about them. She's brilliant on voices and also so sort of dry and funny. Amade Du is very funny. She has this wonderful uh, wit and and she's also quite oral in that sense. I mean, she's often been described as a writer who immerses her work in the quote-unquote African oral tradition. I, I, I feel slightly ambivalent about the idea of the African oral tradition because I think all, all cultures are oral, but there's something about her work that's very much about dialogue. I mean, some of her stories are you know, mostly dialogue. The squabbling mm. aunts and grandmothers and she, <laughs> that she sets this up as this comic scene before the tragedy is. is and, and I think also just just her ability to, to notice the absurd that you know somebody's died, but we still have an opportunity to make a quarrel of it, uh, which is the way human beings are. And I and for me, it's it's very interesting that she has the ability to point out these sort of the things that are absurd about about the way human beings interact with each other. You know, she was born in 1942, um, Ghanaian, and that she was also a single mother. She's had a quite an interesting life. She was also for a while Minister of Education in Ghana. I think really that one of the reasons that she isn't as well known as she should be, in my opinion, is because she's female. And a lot of her work is very much about women and what it means to be female at a particular place and time. Not only does she write about women, but she writes about women truthfully. And sometimes when you write about subjects of that sort in a way that's true, it makes people uncomfortable. And and when you have people who are, who are the tastemakers of literature... And if they can't absorb <laughs> what, you, what you're talking about, it then makes it difficult for you to be well-known. Yes, she's a single mother. She um, was married for a while uh, and then got divorced. And she has spent a lot of time teaching in different universities in the U.S. and also in Ghana. And right now she spends her time partly in Ghana and partly in the U.S. The ending is bleak. I mean, short stories are known for being bleak. It is bleak, but I, because I'm at it, I, I like bleak, so I quite like it. <laughs> I'm very distrustful of um, happy endings in general. Great downloads. Go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. A third of students are less than happy about their university choice. New research by EY has revealed. The findings suggest that a digital rethink is essential to meet the expectations of students and staff. Universities can address this by putting the needs of the people they serve at the heart of their digital strategies. Learn more about the future of human-centered higher education at theguardian.com forward slash transforming higher education. This message was paid for by EY.